This is Jim Weber from LostLetterman.com, and I'm joined by ESPN College Game Day's Kirk Herbstreet. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us. I know you were in Chicago taking in the college football rankings and college basketball games, so we appreciate you getting up early to talk to us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, happy, happy to talk to you. All right, the first question I have is that uh, going straight into the college football playoff rankings, uh, nothing changed, and we know that the teams that control their own destiny are Clemson, Ohio State, Iowa, Alabama, and Oklahoma State. Where things get interesting is if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State in Stillwater, and then we have that Oklahoma-Notre Dame debate. Who do you think the college football playoff committee would pick if Oklahoma you know, wins three impressive games to end the season, but then that common opponent of Texas really weighs in Notre Dame's favor? Yeah, and that, that's, that's what we brought up last night on the show, and that's going to really be potentially um, the, the big, big debate if we get to that point on December 6th for the committee, because no matter what they say, it's, it's going to be wrong in yeah. some people's <laughs> eyes. Um, so, it, you know, and by the way, I, you know, to, for all of us to assume that Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State are just going to be able to hold serve and, and get through, um, I'm not saying it won't happen, but, I'm, but I am saying that typically that doesn't happen. Right. Anytime you get to the last three weeks and you're just assuming three teams are going to win out, I mean, you have rivalry games, um, you have games that you wouldn't even think are that difficult, but uh, sometimes we see wacky things happen. But for, for this argument, I mean, if you do assume that Clemson, Alabama, and if you say you know, Ohio State or Iowa went down, and you've got that one spot left, it is going to be between more than likely Notre Dame and the Big 12 champion. And after what that conference went through a year ago, being left out with TCU and Baylor, and now you have potentially another situation that could leave them out. I, I think the committee's in a, in a tough spot because on one hand, um, I could sit here and make a very strong case for Notre Dame and all the injuries that they've overcame and the way they played and uh, the fact they beat Texas, which will be kind of an X factor. I think you have Oklahoma, who I would argue is playing right now the last five weeks after the loss to Texas as well as any team in college football. And if they play the way they did at Baylor against TCU and against Oklahoma State in Stillwater, they, to me, would be playing as one of the best four teams in the country. So that's when you look at resume versus what you're watching with your eyes. And I think sometimes fans get a little bit misled because they get so caught up in the metrics, you know, the strength of schedule, and look at these two teams on, you know, on a on a kind of a blank uh, resume. Look at this team versus that team. I think people need to really remember that you have football coaches on that committee, and they're looking at it from a football uh, standpoint and watching games. And you know, who would you not want to play? Type of thing. And if Oklahoma beats Baylor and they beat TCU and they knock off Oklahoma State. They also uh, would have a very, very strong case. And what about undefeated Oklahoma State uh, being looked at and uh, you know against Notre Dame? Is it an automatic given that they go right by uh, Notre Dame, sitting there eleven and one? So it's it's going to be it'll be nasty the way it seems to be every year. Every year. Yeah, I thought it was interesting you brought up that we're making a lot of assumptions that these teams will win out. Um, aside, uh, you know. Just going straight to the Oklahoma Notre Dame debate, I was wondering what is your spider sense telling you in terms of the possibility for you know kind of a 2007 scenario where North Carolina beats Clemson, Ohio State loses to Michigan 
or Michigan State. That team beats Iowa in the Big Ten Championship yeah. game. And then we've got this all-hell-breaks-loose scenario. Could happen. I mean, what's I find, what I find ironic is Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State all play, still, all play their rivals on the road. And in Clemson and Alabama's case, they're taking on a, a rivalry game on the road where their opponent has literally nothing to lose. And, and we've all seen rivalry games. I think it was 07, the year Pitt and West Virginia played. And West Virginia was playing Pitt in the backyard brawl, and it was just a given that they were going to take care of business and move on to the BCS championship. And I, I can't remember how heavily favored they were that day in Morgantown, uh, but they ended up losing the game, and, and it just created a lot of chaos. Um, and so when you play rivalry games and one side has everything to lose and the other has nothing to lose, we, we've seen upsets in Ohio State and Michigan. But, you know, Michigan fans, they've been pointing to this game um, since they hired Jim Harbaugh. In fact, it's in Ann Arbor. Uh, you know Jim Harbaugh is going to have a, a trick or two up his sleeve, and you you, know, you got to believe that uh, Urban Meyer will as well, but crazier things have happened than Ohio State going to Ann Arbor and, and losing a game. So, yeah, I I think uh, there, there is the potential of, of having a, a few teams flip up. You brought up, you imagine, as you said, if Ohio State were to lose, and then, and then you know, Iowa ends up losing in the Big Ten championship game, though, you know, the Big Ten could be eliminated. Um, you know, and then if Alabama were to lose to Auburn and beat Florida, I mean, there's, there's so many things still that could happen. And we, we seem to uh, kind of at this point just be talking about the two or three things that could be happening. The last thing I'll tell you is we get caught up in the first five or six teams every week with the rankings. If you look at the entire top ten, and imagine if any of them went out. They have a decent argument. If Baylor wins out, Baylor will have beaten – at that point, they'll knock off Oklahoma State in Stillwater, and they'll go to uh, Fort Worth and knock off TCU. That's pretty good for a one-loss team. Uh, look at Florida. If Florida wins out, that means they will have gone to Atlanta and beaten uh, Alabama, who's up at number two. Uh, they will have beaten Florida State, so they'll they'll continue to strengthen their resume. Um, we've already talked about Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, uh, Michigan State. Everyone's just kind of assuming that they're kind of a forgotten team. What if Michigan State goes to Columbus and somehow beats Ohio State? And then they go on to beat an undefeated Iowa. I mean, Michigan State's not out of this thing yet. So uh, I think the top, that's what makes this playoff so interesting is we only have three weeks to go. And you can, you can look at literally ten teams and say, hey, you know what, they're, they're not quite out of it just yet. They, they, if they went out, they're going to have a pretty strong case. Yeah, that's very true. Um, I wanted to go back to last Saturday and ask you about the Terrell Bird injury. Um, I know that, you know, watching the game from home, I, like many people, thought he was falling down to stop the clock when we've seen flopping become a problem in, in college football. Yeah. And then yeah. you came out on Twitter and apologized to him publicly, which a lot of people really appreciated. I'm wondering, how did you learn that he was actually injured, and how did you decide, you know, I'm not just going to reach out to him or Art Bryles. I want to, you know, publicly apologize for the mistake. Well, you know, I, I think um, I'm a very passionate guy about the sport and I don't have when I'm calling a game I don't play favorites you know I, I don't I'm not an anti-Baylor guy I'm not an anti-anybody guy I, I love college football and I love the ethics of the sport and I love guys that do it the right way and what I saw was clearly uh, a, a one player going over to a, 
kind of looked over at him, and he like basically threw him down on the ground to go down. And our cameras caught it. And I, I, you know, I, I knew that there was a potential of him being hurt, but the fact he was not like laboring or limping around, he was running around trying to play. And so all I saw was him go down, and I, and I, I thought that was terrible. I, I hate it when any defense does that. So I think it's bad for the sport. There isn't a rule to prevent that, but I think it's, it's unethical. I just don't like it. So, you know, the game went on and whatever happened. And then the next morning, uh, I was I reached out to their sports information director, and I just mentioned, hey, thanks for a great week. And I said, hey, by the way, if Coach Brown is asked about that situation with uh, Troy Bird, um, if you want to shed any more light on that, you know, because I, I was pretty passionate about that and, and, and pretty uh, – pretty strong about uh, what I saw. If there's more to the story, please let me know. And so he really appreciated me being proactive and and actually sent me all the information about how he had gotten hurt, tweaked an ankle, and blah, 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 one of the toughest guys on the team. And and so that's when I felt, you know, I'm not going to wait for Taylor or for anybody to ask me to apologize. If I'm wrong, I, I have no problem. Um, admitting when I make a mistake and I felt that uh, one of the neat things about Twitter is being able to get a message out and I thought being proactive was the right thing to do and, um, and I, my, my point was based on what I saw at the time uh, it looked like a very very clear indication that a player was asking another player to intentionally go down and I hate to see that uh, now there's more to the story Terrell Burke tweaked his ankle and you know, he was trying to fight through it. I respect that. And sidelines recognized he was trying to fight through it. And they had to get the other player, Ryan Reed's attention to go out there and tell him to get down. They got him off the field and, and so be it. So I, you know, I would just want to say that was completely on me. And, and uh, I apologize. And there's no ill will towards Terrell Bird or Baylor or anything on my behalf. It was just an, um, a passionate moment. And, you know, I, I, I apologize. So I, I just felt that it was the right thing to do, and I just kind of moved, moved past it, really. Yeah, looking forward to this Saturday. I saw on Twitter you said that this is the first time you'll be in Columbus since moving to Nashville in 2010, which really shocked me that you haven't been back since you moved away. What is it like to go back to Columbus? It's awesome. I mean, I, I, I've been back to visit friends, but I've not been back with game day. Okay. Uh, I've been back to call a number of Ohio State games, Um on ABC since then, um, and I, you know, I, I've always, I love, it's, it's my home, and I, I love the fans, and I love the team, and uh, anytime I get a chance to, to come into that stadium and bring game day back, I mean, it brings back so many amazing memories for me of uh, not just being a player there, but living there and having my kids on the set and uh, watching them grow up, you know, basically around college game day. We have so many different pictures when they were babies all the way up till. Uh, I guess the last time, like, my twins were 10 uh, years old when, when we were there. And um, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it is kind of emotional for me. It's, it's neat. It it's, makes you reflect and, and think back about how appreciative you are of, of the university and the relationship I have with them. And I love, love to always bring the show back and, and brag about my school and, and the, the, the beautiful campus. We're actually going to be on the Oval this time instead of right in front of St. John Arena. So... Coach Corso and everybody else will get a chance to see different side of uh, of the campus, and I'm I'm fired up. I can't wait.
Yeah, which actually I think is a great move because the Oval is such a beautiful place. Um, yeah. to, get it out, to get it out of a parking lot I think is a, a good move. Um, I wanted to ask you about living in Columbus versus living in Nashville. I know the popular narrative is that the, the crazy buck nuts drove you out of Columbus, but I know there was much more to that and that it was kind of just hard living in Columbus where people would knock on your door for autographs. People would drive yeah. by your house real slow. People would park outside your house and just sit there. And I actually lived a couple of blocks away from you on Tremont Road. Um, so I'm wondering what it was like to kind of live in that fishbowl experience uh, in Upper Arlington. Man, you're, you're dead on it. You're, <laughs> you're exactly um, all over it. It, it, was, it was not crazies pushing me out of town. That, that's, I, 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 I feel bad that there's, and if there's anything I added to that, you know, it, it, the, the emotions of the time, um, I, I regret, I, I'm sorry that, that it ever got spun that way. It was, it was not that at all. It was more of, as you said, just it's tough to do what, what I do in the, in the sport that I cover and, and be very opinionated and about all teams because that's my job. That's what I'm asked to do. And to be able to uh, do that and raise a family with four boys right in the heart of, uh, of Upper Arlington was a, was a little bit of a challenging thing to do. Not on the negative side, but just, just as you say, just being in the public eye and you know being everywhere. My kids could have a Oregon sweatshirt on, and oh, why are they wearing that Oregon shirt? You know, or they, <laughs> yeah. you know, or they could. You know, I, one of the coolest things about my job when my kids were little and they went to elementary school there was uh, over at Barrington I every time we went on the road I'd buy them a jersey and so I don't care it didn't matter where we went we would I'd buy them jerseys and it was a big kind of thing when I'd come home I'd bring jerseys home and they loved wearing jerseys to school and it was just non-stop you know it just never ended no matter where we were we could be out to eat and it was all 98% of it was positive and maybe 2% was negative but it's just um we had, we and my wife and I had talked about it from from day one about the possibility of um, of whether it's moving to Cincinnati or moving you know outside of, of Columbus. As much as we love the city, we'd always talked about that. And and so I think what was it 2010 or whatever it was, we looked a little bit more into it and thought about maybe moving down to Texas. I have some family down there, and then we thought, man, that's just too far. As much as that might be a fun move. And then we thought, you know, in Nashville, big thing was there's no state income taxes, and what a what a cool town, and that's not that far from home to be able to get back and forth. So we decided to uh, to, to look there and kind of really loved it, what we saw, and thought about the, the possibility of making a move, and did, and thought we'd do it for you know see how it went for a couple of years, and if we loved it, we'd stick around, and if we did, you know, we we could go back. And uh, ended up liking it. My kids are at a great school, and it's a great town. And we, do we miss Columbus? Absolutely. Do we miss family and friends? Absolutely. Was I run out of town? Absolutely not. Um, we just—it's uh, just—it's just—it's—it's um, it's easier um, on my family, and and uh, doesn't mean I don't live for Ohio State and Columbus. And I'm very proud of where I'm from. And, um, every day I wake up and I'm appreciative of my relationship with Ohio State because of the doors that it's opened for me. And it's kind of, uh, I'm a proud alum that happens to live in Nashville. There are lots of proud alums that live in Los Angeles and Miami and Texas and all over the country. And I, 
happen to live in Nashville, and I'm a proud Ohio State alum. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because I think it comes up so much uh, when you're calling games or making picks, and it's really unfortunate. Someone actually asked us this question on Twitter is, how do you deal with the fact that if you give Ohio State a compliment, you know, the rest of the country <laughs> says you're this huge homer, and then if you make yeah. any critical statement, you're a traitor or you're trying too hard to, to be uh, to be objective. I saw you you made a comment the other day on Twitter about how the offensive line for Ohio State needs to step up, and I saw you know there were responses from Taylor Decker and Ezekiel Elliott about I thought you were a Buckeye. It seems like you know it's really a no win situation. Well, that's a that's a really fair question, and it's real. It's real, and I think um, I've been, we got to remember I've been doing this for twenty years now, and I've done I've been doing this. And I've, I, I, I hate to say I'm immune to it, but like anything else in life, when you get hit over the head so many times, you just you just kind of are numb to it. So I I I am the probably listen. I I grew up listening to the Ohio State band, the marching band, their their album. From the time I was probably three years old, I had the entire thing memorized. There's. You ask my family and friends, you're, you will never meet a more passionate Ohio State fan than me. My, my, my friends make fun of me because I am such a Ohio State fan. When I go on TV, I have a job to treat Ohio State just like any other team. And why or how or whatever, how am I able to do that? I have no idea. I don't go out of my way to praise Ohio State. I don't go out of my way to knock Ohio State. But I have opinions about Ohio State, just like I have opinions about USC or Texas or Florida State. I cover the entire country following college football. Ohio State happens to be a team that's a high-profile team that's ranked in the top five. What do you want me to do? Sorry, guys, I'm, I'm like the selection committee. I, I have to pass here. I have no comment about Ohio State. I, mean, I, I have to have comments. I have to have opinions about Ohio State. What was ironic about the most recent thing about the offensive line is the first thing Urban Meyer talked about in his press conference was how bad the offensive line played. Right. So, you know, so, so I, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm not a Buckeye because I, I said something. So Urban Meyer must not be a Buckeye because Urban Meyer questioned the offensive line play and their pass protection against Illinois. Furthermore, maybe the entire year that's been a bit of an Achilles heel. So I, I, I say things that coaches say, or I say things that a lot of fans say. Think about what the fans say if in the stands, if we had if we had them microphone on what they said. So right. we, are we going to tr- trade in their Buckeye card because of you know, things like, I can't believe Urban Meyer did that. He's terrible. They need yeah. to fire this offensive coordinator. Where's Tom Herman? <laughs> Think about some of the things that these fans say. And we, we should microphone them and we should, we should we should tell them that they need to move out of Ohio because of things they say during a during a game that they're watching. So um, I, I'm no different than anybody else. I watch games. I have opinions. You, you don't have to agree with me or disagree with me. I mean, you do whatever you want. But to assume I hate my school or to assume I'm a traitor because I have an opinion, it's no different than you as a fan having an opinion. You know, I, I, I just, it's, it's the world we live in. I get it. Um, but I do resent people that question me when it comes to how I feel about Ohio State and how proud I am of my school. I mean, that, that, that's never been questioned for me. 
world that's that that's never had a had a real life. Um, but to these these folks that uh, like they just cause trouble, and that's your world, my world, that's everybody's world. That's that's kind of the thing that they try to do. And I like I said, you start to become a bit numb to it all. But uh, you know, I, I think I think to question me or any other former player how they feel about their school is is idiotic. Yeah, an extension of that is social media. And I know that you were on Twitter originally and then deleted your Twitter account. You brought it back and now you have almost a million followers and you're very active on it. Um, but I know that, you know, you get a lot of people that find it very easy to rip you and say you're an Alabama homer or, you know, whatnot. <laughs> it's kind of whatever uh, they feel like, uh, whatever their team is, you're against them. And I'm wondering where you're at with Twitter and being able to block out the trolls um, versus I, uh, answer them? I don't want to say I'm addicted to Twitter, <laughs> but I love it. I, I, I absolutely enjoy the communication back and forth with fans. And again, overwhelming majority, 90%, 95% of the people on there are awesome just fans. I think it's probably cool for them to be able to talk to people who, whether they're broadcaster or whoever they're talking to, I think it must be must be a neat thing to be able to do. I enjoy it personally. Um, and I, I've gotten to a point where I actually have fun exposing people that are, um, they, they just have a, a very, very bizarre view of the world. And whether they're, you know, I, I think I learned a long time ago that how they speak on Twitter is a reflection of how they feel about themselves. It's not necessarily how they feel about me. You know, if they're not if they're not doing that to me, they're doing it to you. If they're not doing it to you, they're doing it to Jay Billis. If they're not doing it to Jay Billis, they're doing it to Johnny Manziel. You know, it's like they're just that's how they live their life. They're unfortunately very probably very frustrated and, and you know whatever for whatever reason. And this is how they. Yeah, this is how they enjoy uh, spending time. So what I do is I like their family and friends and employer to see how they talk to people. And that's why I retweet so many of those people is I, I want them to be exposed and brought to light uh, how they speak. And I, you'll never see me, very rarely we ever see me go at somebody. You know, I'll, I like to kill them with kindness. And I just like to put their tweet out there and and let my followers kind of see what's out there. And they tend to, I think, uh, unload on them after that. But uh, I, I, it literally does not bother me at all. I, I, I don't know. I, I find it almost like it's, a, it's become a hobby almost with, um, you know, whether it's answering questions or uh, looking for some of the things. Like yesterday, some guy told me, you know, I hate, I've always hated Alabama. And, you know, it's, it's very clear that you have an agenda against Alabama. And I, I just simply retweeted that and I wrote, do you actually listen to what I say? <laughs> and, and that's all I said. And, and then after, after that, you know, people, I'm sure, communicated with him. But to me, I, what's funny about my job and the, and the position I've gotten to at ESPN, I can literally say one sentence and SEC fans and Alabama fans would think, there he goes again, Big Ten <laughs> homer, Ohio State homer, and the exact same sentence. There's that, that fraction that one or two percent of Ohio State fans or Big Ten fans would say, he's a sellout, all he does, SEC, SEC. It's like, it's the exact same sentence. Yeah. And Alabama and whoever is offended by it, and Ohio State's offended by it. I mean, that, that's, 
that's uh, I think that speaks volumes about our sport. It speaks volumes about the passion that our sport has over every other sport. No one comes close to the passion. Uh, and this, remember, we live in a world of subjectivity with our system. So when you mix passion across the country and and a lot of, of great games on Saturdays and then strong opinions on the back end and a, and a subject, a, the subjectivity that we live with with the committee, you, you have a lot of volatility and a lot of a lot of passion that you see, whether it's on Twitter or wherever you go. And uh, I don't think any NFL doesn't deal with that. College hoops, MLB, NBA, nobody deals with that like college football fans. And, and I think it's the system that we have and, and uh, the rapid fan bases that follow the sport. Right. Hey, Kirk, this is Jordan Rabinowitz, the managing editor of Lost Letterman. You're calling the Saturday Night Games now with Chris Fowler, which I'm sure it's great, you know, being in the booth with a guy who you have a 20-year professional relationship with. But is it a little bittersweet seeing your old partner, Brent Musburger, now down uh, on the SEC network? Um, no, I mean, I, I wasn't really involved in that. I mean, they, they kind of approached me and told me what they were going to do and, and uh, told me that Chris was going to move into that, that spot and there was a potential that he may come off game day and he, he ended up doing doing them together uh, for a year. And um, I think he, he, he handled that, even though it's a lot to deal with. I thought he handled it well. And, um, I loved working with Brent. I mean, I grew up like you guys probably listening to Brent. You know, you're looking live. I mean, I, I was standing next to him for eight years and hearing him every game saying, "You're looking live." You know, I, I mean, I was like, "God, I'm ready to cover a kickoff." You know, I was just so pumped. Uh, it was an honor to, to to cover those games with him for those eight years. And so when they decided that you know that he was going to move to the SEC Network. Um, you know, it, it, it kind of is what it is, and they told me that Chris was going to do it because of the relationship I had with Chris. Um, I was excited to get to a position to grow with him and, and have a chance to kind of create our own chemistry in the booth compared to doing a studio show like Game Day. It's a very different feel and, and different job. And so, I, you know, I, I really enjoy calling games with Chris, too. So, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess it would be like... A, a receiver that loves working with a quarterback and then that quarterback the iconic Hall of Fame quarterback leaves and then another quarterback comes in and you try to develop uh, a chemistry with that new quarterback and that's that's kind of how I feel with uh, with working with those two guys because I, I feel like they're two of the best in the business. That's a good comparison. Uh, and moving to game day, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, it seems like Calls for Lee Corso to retire ramped up this season, and after working with him for so many years, what's your reaction to that? I'm sorry, they, they say what about Lee? That, that it's time for him to retire. Oh, really? Man, I I don't hear that at all. I, um, you know, I, uh, Lee is 80 years old. Um, I I think about you know whether you have parents or grandparents who are in their 60s or 70s or 80s. You think about what Lee Corsa is doing on, on national TV at 80 years old. Um, I'm in all of them, to be honest with you. And um, I've, I've known him now for 20 years, and he's treated me from the first time I came in as a guy that was trying to prove himself to a guy that's been around now for 20 years. He treated me exactly the same from the very first day I walked in. And he, um, 
he, he to me is an iconic figure uh, with the headgear that started with Brutus and has gone on all these years to, um, you know, just when we travel on these campuses, he's, he's, that's my town. He's, he's the guy, you know, he is the guy that people want to see and talk to. I don't know, maybe if people that are saying he needs to retire realize that, you know, it's pretty public that he had a stroke about, I don't know how many years ago, five, six, seven years ago, he had a stroke and he had a really hard time, like a, a lot of people who suffer from strokes, a lot of, a very tough time of speaking. And he worked with a speech therapist and some people thought it might be the end of his career, but he worked really, really hard to try to get his speech back. And so when you watch him and, and you see him maybe get stuck on a word or two, that's the thing to keep in mind is not only the 80, uh, but he also suffered a stroke. And he has the courage to go out on, on national TV and, and still realize he's going to get stuck on a word here or there, but he's going he's gonna to do his best. And so I think he's a real, he's a real example of, you know, being on, if anybody, if a guy can go through a stroke and go on national TV, you can suffer a stroke late in your life and, and go on with your life, whatever it happens to be. So I think he's, he's awesome and uh, he's like a, almost like a father figure to me, so I, I've always enjoyed being with him. All right, before we let you go, we wanted to go through a quick lightning round with fan questions. Um, yeah. You know, people have so many questions for you, so we boiled it down to the five or six uh, best ones we've okay. got. The first one is, as you know, there is a huge outcry for the EA Sports NCAA football series to oh, return. Man. Have you been contacted by them, or do you have any inside scoop on it coming back? I do not, but I am on the front line with you guys. <laughs> my, my boys and I are just, we don't even know what to do with ourselves in the middle of July anymore because now we've become Madden. We never were Madden guys. We were always college football guys. And I, I, I played this game since the early to mid-90s when it was Bill Walsh college football. Yes. I just watched it yes. grow, you know what I mean? So um, I'm dying for that thing to come back. Ed O'Bannon, how dare you take this away from us? <laughs> this is unacceptable. Um, we need to get this fixed. I'm, I'm right there, and anything I can do to help get that game back, uh, if you guys ever hear of a way, please let me know, and I'll do everything I can. That's my mission right now is to get NCAA college football back. Wow. Well, I'm sure many people will be excited to hear that. Uh, next question is, yay or nay to college football playoffs on New Year's Eve? It's, uh, it is what it is. Um, you know, I, I think it's a little bit bizarre. You know, you, when I think of New Year's Eve, I think of people going out and partying and having a great time. Uh, I'm hopeful that, that people will will make college football viewing part of their part of their their their, their, their night, their their evening, no matter what they're doing. I think we will see a bump in ratings on the negative side. Um, but I think if you're ESPN, it's not just about the, those two games. It's about the other four games that are going to be played on, on New Year's Day. Um, so, yeah, a little, little bit little bit of, uh, uh, you know, it, uh, it's, it's not an ideal situation, but hopefully the sport will have a chance to, to carry the night. If you remember when they put this together, the, the BCS, the old BCS conference commissioners, and now the, the uh, Power Five, they made it very clear that they wanted to take back New Year's Eve and New Year's Day like they right. used to be special. And so we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But there, there's no changing it. I mean, it's these, these guys, when you bring up, is there any way to play it on the second or the third? You know, they just they won't listen to it. So it is what it is, and we all have to try to make the most of it and, and see what it does to the ratings. But 
hope people tune in just because I love the sport. Right. All right. Favorite restaurant when you go on the road? Oh, my gosh. I know that's a really um, tough one. It is. It is. Well, since we're going to Columbus this weekend, I'll say Hyde Park. I knew uh, I knew that was going to be your answer. I know that's a favorite <laughs> in Upper Arlington. I'll let you get by with that one, though. I mean, it's a great yeah. steakhouse for those that haven't yeah. been. And honestly, though, that's probably the best part of my job um, is traveling, whether it's in the Midwest or you go out, you know, to go out the uh, the South or go out there in the Big Twelve where there's barbecue, or you go out west and there's great seafood. That's probably been the, the thing that I've really enjoyed the most is. Just being in different regions and <clears throat> trying different food no matter where you are. All right, what is your favorite campus to visit outside of Ohio State where you go there and go, wow, this place is special. I wish I would have gone here. Um, you know, the, here's the thing. We don't, real quick, I know this is a speed round, but we don't get a chance to really see the campus. Yeah, like, true. I, I fly in on Thursday. I, I get to the airport, go straight over the uh, football offices go to practice, hang out at the facility, go back to the hotel, maybe go out to a dinner, come right back to the hotel, wake up the next day, you're over at the game day compound, um, and and then you go to another dinner that night, and, and then you do game day, and then you call the game. So you really don't get a chance to like be around. I, I would say that some of the best game day experiences, uh, Eugene, Oregon is a really, really cool place. Um, just just the, the setting of the campus, the feel, the look, the, the stadium, even though it's a little smaller. Austin Stadium, if you guys have never been, you should definitely try to get out there and just take the game in. But it's uh, Pacific Northwest. It's just a, it's a beautiful area. And that one kind of stands out to me uh, is, is a game day that we've always enjoyed. You, know, you go on here at 6 a.m. local, and there's, I don't know, ten or 15,000 people around the set going crazy when it's dark out. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say Eugene, Oregon really stands out for me. Okay. Uh, when is game day finally going to make a trip to Pullman? I know you guys were on the fence with Temple or Pullman and decided yeah. Temple after a long 48 hours and crushed the uh, the dreams of Cougar fans. So it's 2016 <laughs> the year. Man, we, we uh, I, I can't predict when we'll get there, but the fact that Mike Leach has them playing the way they are, I would say it's going to be sooner rather than later. Um, I, I, this is the best they've looked since going way back to maybe back to oh two oh three. You know when they were a really good team with a quarterback named Jason Kessler. So I'm hoping they keep winning and and we get out there. I can't imagine what it would be like after all these years of, of their dedication with with uh, old Crimson, their flag traveling around the game day. What it would be like for us to actually show up and how many flags we would see. Be a record. I bet it'd be a record uh, setting uh, for, if we ever turn up in uh, in Pullman. Okay, last two. What is the loudest stadium in America in your mind? Um, I would say either the Swamp at night or uh, Baton Rouge at night would be the two, and then I would throw in uh, Penn State at night when it's a whiteout. Yeah. It has to be a whiteout. It can't just be a normal <laughs> home game. But Penn State is a whiteout when they're playing good and a top five team comes into their stadium. I, I would put Penn State right up there as well. Okay, and last one, we're really putting you on the spot for the Twitter hate on this one, but best student section in the country? Um, I would 
give Penn State's students the best student section. Wow. Um, yeah. They, here's what separates them. They do general admissions seating. So, you remember Paternoville, where they used to camp out? Right. You know, for two or three nights leading up to the game. Um, so they, they have to do that because first come, first serve. So when those gates open up two hours before the game and no one else is in the stadium, you see the entire student section filling in uh, to their seats before the game even thinks about starting because they're, they're all fighting to try to get the seats. So if you don't have a ticket, you have a ticket to get in, you have to get there early to be able to get a good seat. So when the teams come out for warm-ups, you, know, you already have 30,000 Penn State students up there. And they, I think they have the biggest impact uh, potentially on, on the game. So I, I'd give Penn State the edge. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That is all our questions. Enjoy this weekend and the rest of the season. Okay, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Bye.